This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast for the 1st of October 2019. And congratulations to everybody that has uh, been along with us on this arduous, fabulous journey into YouTube. We have over 100 subscribers. I will now cease my begging. <laughs> and relax. It's been, so, it's been such a journey, such a task. But thank you to all those people that got us here. And uh, yeah, what can I say? We we now will be able to secure our URL if if not if that's not already done, Jon. Yeah, URL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I know I know I should have done something with that, but it it took me completely by surprise. I mean, I was sitting here working in my office, doing diligent work for things that were very important apparently, and then my email kept blinging, blinging, blinging that people were subscribing to YouTube, and before I knew it, we were at 120 subscribers, which is great, of course. Thank you very much to our audience for doing that, and a special thank you to the great people from Kuori, who actually had an internal raffle to help us get to our goal. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is what I really like, our audience uh, banding together, running a raffle to get more subscribers to get us over the... Uh, over the final hurdle. Yeah, definitely. It's great. I mean, this was totally, we didn't do it. We had nothing to do with this. So it's totally great to see this happening organically like this. So, uh, Kuori, Darren, I'm just going to, they sent us a little contact uh, email as well. So I'm just going to read a little bit from there. Apparently they've had, they've have a new awesome data platform as a service. They're a startup. They're connected to an AE consultant uh, group. And they're big, big time fans of the podcast. And this one, this, this is the part I disagree with them because they figured Dave's knees were a bit sore after all this begging. I, I think his knees could, <laughs> it could have had, it could have gone on a lot longer. But I'm still happy we got over the hundred <laughs> subscribers, and we'll try to get that uh, URL uh, locked in as soon as possible. Thank you, thank you very much, everybody who helped us reach this goal. It's a modest goal, perhaps, but for us, it really means a lot. It does very much so. And, uh, of course, that means that this is a news episode. Uh, what's first on the news? Well, first one aboard, everybody. Yeah, it's kind of... It's a bit of an odd title for a, <laughs> a blog post, isn't it? Yeah, but that's also what, what, what made me look at the article and actually read it. So this uh, article is titled The Boring Technology Behind a One-Person Internet Company. It's by Wenbin Fang. It's a bit older by now, but it just uh, caught my eye a little while ago because when we were doing all these podcasts uh, on the subjects of uh, DevOps and um, uh, automation and things like that, uh, this popped up. And it's a article that talks, uh, well, it's from Webin Fang, who tells the world how he created his little one-man online company called Listen Notes. It's a podcast mm. uh, creator kind of thing where you can have a list of podcasts to look at, but that's not the important thing here. The important thing here is that he actually nicely lists out how he built his backend, what the components are. And the reason that I wanted to talk about this is because it's a really nice fit with the automation talk we had uh, earlier about, yeah, sure, it's about putting a bunch of open source technologies together, which is easier than ever because there's so much out there, but then having a 
semi-automated uh, way of making sure everything works and gets built and gets pushed out to the to the to the world to, the, to, to his audience. It's it's a nice uh, explanation because it actually goes into quite a bit of uh, depth on the, the sort of the whole service ecosystem of of tools and tech that he uses sort of across the board. You know, all the way from you know the the terminal emulator of choice through <laughs> to you know the the um, load balancer and database and you know a whole bunch of other stuff and you know what the back end's written in, what the front end's written in. Um, the one, There's a few kind of interesting little nuggets um, throughout the document, uh, throughout the article, though, one of which is um, about, you know, is he not using uh, Docker and Kubernetes and serverless? And uh, his his response is really interesting, which is that... Um, as you as you gain experience, you know when not to over-engineer, um, which is a lesson that I think more people could do with learning. Yeah, I also think for him it was easier in a way because he was alone. Because if you're in a group of five people, they all want to have their little pet project, their little pet tool also included in the build tree, in the build uh, system. And it, mm. yeah, I mean... Marriages probably have ended because of discussions between Ansible and CF Engine and things like that. Indeed, indeed. But mm. it's 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 really good. It goes through the you know the the, the sort of servers, OSs, monitoring and alerting. Um, uh, uses PagerDuty. Um, uh, uses Slack, which is kind of interesting because he is a as a one-person sort of company, but he uses Slack um, primarily for as a sort of an integration layer between all his other different tools. So, um, yeah, application level events sort of ping him in Slack, and he's got yeah. kind of alerts set up and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, really th- cool. there's definitely a lot of different choices one could have made. I mean, this is just his choice of tools to use, and hey, if it works, it works. Uh, I would not have put Slack in that position, but it's a very interesting way of using it, I would say. Now, another thing that's important here is the fact that he's actually built something that's expandable because as a one-person shop, he didn't have the billions to start up. He had to start small and get bigger. So everything he built is also... He's not using Kubernetes, as you said, but it's still a expandable system where he has like production server 1, so production server 2, production server 3, and as he wrote, I can add 4 and 5 at a, mo- at a moment's notice whenever it becomes a necessity due to the load on the system or whatever. And obviously you can only do that if you have a nicely automated uh, back and front end. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I think there's, there's a few sort of definite um, uh, sort of themes running through the course of this. And one is that there's a lot of, op- unsurprisingly probably, there's a lot of, un, um, a lot of open source technology um, that he's, uh, he's consuming through here at almost every single layer or level, uh, which is, you know, again, you know, not surprising and very nice to see, but I think it is it is still kind of interesting. Yeah, and he's also talking a little bit about, about the human aspect of the whole thing, because he's also explaining how he is actually not working from home, but from a uh, kind of rented office space somewhere in San Francisco, which is something we will be revisiting in the somewhat near future, we hope. 
We will indeed. Because uh, it's, uh, it's kind of very, uh, very common in this uh, environment of big technology that people are in distributed companies and working from home or rented places, stuff like that. And we all know that that has its own pros and cons. So he also gives his view on that point. And uh, I'll let people read the article. I mean, well, the links will be in the show notes, of course. But um, yeah, I liked it. It's not a very extensive thing. But if you're looking at making something or you have some idea, you think, nah, it's too much work. I can never do this on my own. Well, this is a nice way to just demonstrate that it is very possible and maybe not easy, but definitely not mm-hmm. hard if you do it right. Indeed. 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 Nice nice selection of tools, nice selection of technologies, and uh, yeah, a nice little insight into a one-person company. Mm-hmm. Even though it's a boring one. But he made it boring Apparently. because it's all so simple now. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> anyway, moving on. So, what do you yes, got? indeed, moving on. Um, what's going on with GKE and Anthos? I have uh, no idea. First, first question, obviously, for me at least when I first looked at this, was what is Anthos again? I'm not sure that I knew what that was. Well, maybe start <laughs> with telling what GKE is, because... Because you know and I know what it is, and not everybody perhaps does. Well, uh, rather than going into the into the, the tech of, of of this, I was actually the thing that very first caught my eye when I just skimmed through this is the article the the second paragraph of the article talks about the fact that Google has never really been a customer first company. It's mm-hmm. always been a technology leader. But it's always really struggled with enterprise sales and kind of end user sort of customer support side of things, which I think was for me. I mean, this article has a few interesting things in it, but for me, that was one of the the things that made me sort of uh, sort of really go into this article in a bit more depth because it is very clearly uh, something that you know Google are leaders in in the technology space in so many different ways but they continue to do odd things when it comes to dealing with customers and enterprises mm-hmm. and i i don't know where this sort of comes from some people suggest it's arrogance some people suggest it's 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 almost because they don't really quite care they're just sort of they're doing what they think is right yeah. it's the engineering I don't know culture if you have a view on that it's engineering yeah. culture. I mean, they build stuff because they think it's cool. And hey, people can mm-hmm. try, maybe use this. Okay, yeah, we'll sell it. We'll make money of it. No, okay, but it's like a, a second... Uh, it's not the first goal of the whole thing. The first goal is to make something cool, and the second goal is to actually make money from it. Now, I don't think that's actually how it works, because Google it's one of the biggest companies on the planet, and that's not because we're doing things without a business plan, obviously. But it, mm-hmm. they do still have that, uh, yeah, that, that feel in there. But things are changing, obviously, because Google ha- doesn't is aware of this. At least uh, part of Google is aware of this, and they are working hard to change that. Now, this article still at the top here. Uh, one of the things they're doing to change this apparently is the entry of a person from Oracle. I'm not going to name names because the name itself doesn't really matter that much. But I did kind of do a double take when I read that they were trying to get more uh, humane, let's say, by adding Oracle to the mix. (laughs) In my, albeit limited experience, I don't really equate Oracle with nice 
to customer practices kind of thing. But I may be biased. Yeah, I may be biased. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, a, a bit of a bit of quick terminology here. So GCP uh, is uh, Google's cloud platform. Um, and if that is unfamiliar to you, mm-hmm. then uh, I recommend you go ahead and listen to some a couple of our previous episodes uh, where we worked with the CloudPod guys and talked <laughs> with them about public cloud. I'm going to correct you there a little was. bit because those are the next few episodes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the timey wimey crew. The timey wimey has uh, totally bollocks to you, my dear. <laughs> Space-time continuum continues to be difficult. Anyway, uh, so upcoming episodes with the CloudPod guys. Um, listen to listen to some of their thoughts on GCP. Um, GKE is uh, Google uh, Google's <laughs> Kubernetes offering, and uh, this is sort of Kubernetes as a service, yeah, if you like. Managed. Exactly managed, easy to spin up, easy to spin down. Anywhere you like, easy to spend money. So, the 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 third piece here that's worth digging to a little bit is Anthos, mm-hmm. and this is um, this is sort of Google's or the specifically the GCP answer to um, hybrid cloud solutions. Yeah. So, AWS have their outposts. Azure has the Azure Stack. Um, uh, Pivotal to have Cloud Foundry. And so this is sort of um, blurring the lines between uh, on-prem services and uh, public cloud services to give you that supposedly, quote-unquote, seamless experience, although everybody really knows that there's no such thing. So this, I mean, the article goes into quite a bit of depth around... Uh, Anthos and how it's it's suggesting that certain features are are coming to um, are coming to Anthos first, and you know will will they come to GKE? It's it's unclear. It's also unclear whether this means if you want to use some of these features. Maybe you will need uh, an Anthos subscription before you can do that. Um, I the reason I find this article kind of strange is because um, you know this is Google's decision as to how they decide to bundle various services, and if they decide that certain services need. An Anthos subscription, then that's the way it is. But it's not like the um, it's not like the GKE service is going away. It's just this is a, an extension mm-hmm. of that. At least that's my understanding. So I, I, I sort of I don't really understand what this person's particular um, issue with the way that this is being done is. I. I don't know. I, I think some of this is Google's part of moving somewhat too fast, you know, moving ahead with, oh, you'll need Danthos subscription for that. Well, what what is one of those? Oh, we don't have those yet. Uh, how much do they cost? Oh, we don't know yet. You know, it, it's that's, that's definitely an element of life with Google. But, you know, if, if they choose to, you know, paywall certain functionality behind certain 
subscription types, then well, that's that's their decision. And if you want to use GCP, then yeah, yeah that's what you've got to live with. Uh, I I I don't know if you have a, a better view on this as as to what the uh, potential uh, concerns are being laid out here, but. I just find it a little bit odd, although the, the topic as a whole I find quite interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, at the bottom of the whole thing is to have uh, a Kubernetes environment that stretches across public cloud and on-premise. And basically that's what you've been talking about when we had the uh, hybrid cloud uh, podcasts earlier this month or last month. So that's not that new, let's say. Hmm. Mm, okay, the first thing that hit me, really hit me in a, in a negative way, is when I went down to the Antos page on the Google page, the first thing you see is a banner about a McKinsey study unlocking business acceleration in a hybrid cloud world, blah de blah de blah de blah That for me tells me, or makes me believe that this is less of a technical necessity that's being answered and more of a business opportunity, business gap, uh, go to business, go to market gap or whatever they're trying to fill with this hybrid cloud thing. And yeah, as you said already, Amazon has something, Azure has something, Google doesn't have something, so they have to have something there too. It also, on all three clouds, kind of makes me do a little, uh, yeah, again, a a double take, because why would public cloud providers want you to do stuff on-premise? Short answer, they don't. But sometimes mm. you have to because of legality, because of whatever reason. So they need to have some kind of connectivity going on there. And that's where these kind of uh, solutions kind of fit. Now, to the uh, concern between air quotes of the author of the article, I, I don't really see what he's getting there. Because in my opinion, uh, I mean, I worked at, uh, at Microsoft also very close to the Azure uh, team there. And uh, Azure Stack, I know pretty well, although it's been a while now since I've uh, touched it. So what I know is probably outdated and I can actually talk about it. (laughs) But features landed on Azure Stack, not first, but usually last, if ever. Because if as a cloud provider, you want to roll out really deep SaaS uh, services onto a on-premise environment, you need to have quite a bit of control of that environment to make sure that it actually works. And I'm talking about things like, is hyper-threading enabled? What kind of memory dims are you using? Things like that, because you want to have some kind of SLA availability there. And that usually makes it harder to deploy things on an on-premise situation where you have less control than in your own data centers where you have full control. Makes perfect sense, I'd say. So having a world where Antos would have stuff possible, and I'm not talking about the obvious thing, Antos can run it on-premise and TCP cannot. Obviously, that's not what I'm talking about. Mm. But having really services running on Antos that don't run in the cloud and it's not tied to it, yeah, but this can only make sense on-premise, it just doesn't make sense. Because every cloud out there wants one thing, all your data. Because if your data is there, you'll stay there and you'll consume there. And that's a perfect way of doing business because that works very well. Mm -hmm. This Antos thing, again, if I look at the page, McKinsey at the top there, for me, this is... I mean, yeah, it probably does work. I'm not saying it's bad or anything. My first question is, do you need this? Uh, when we talked about multi-cloud, we talked about go to the clouds that have the stuff you need when you need it. So do your, do, do do stuff A on cloud A and do stuff B on cloud B because cloud A has services for use case A and so on. In this case, if you have things that run on-premise and things run in the cloud and you want to have that single pane of glass, as they call it, a single management uh, experience... 
this may make sense but i must also admit that i have i'm just double checking in my head here but i have never seen anybody from aws or azure or google because well it's totally new so azure, <laughs> google would not be possible uh, to have actually deployed this now if someone out there is actually doing this i really i think dave as well we would really want to talk to you and see how how you like it because i can see so many yeah. pitfalls so many problems uh that can make this not be the experience that you want it to be. Because on the one hand, you're looking for a SaaS solution, so you want to get rid of all of that responsibility, but this actually puts it back into your hands. So, yeah, I'm very ambivalent about the should you want this question around the whole multi-cloud, with multi-cloud on-premise edition, hybrid cloud, that's what I'm looking for, uh, proposition there. And uh, from what I've read here, I think the concern of the author of the article really doesn't ring a bell with me, but I have different concerns about the, maybe not feasibility, but uh, wantability, for lack of a better word, of this uh, kind of solution. I'm not sure wantability is a word, but it is I, now. <laughs> I understand your sentiment. Yeah. Desirability, yeah. that's the one I was looking for. Okay, that does make more sense. <laughs> and that is actually a word. Never confuse, excuse me for making sense, please. Okay. All right. I won't. Never again. But yeah, it's a yep. new thing on the block, Antos. If you haven't heard about it and you're working on GKE or TCP or any other acronyms that belong to Google, uh, yeah, you should look at it and uh, make uh, sure if it's something for you or not. I guess. Yep. Indeed. So maybe just notice at the bottom of the Antos page there's a technology partners section. And there's stuff in there like Citrix. And all of the monitoring guys out there, I'd say. F5 is there as well. So yeah. Yeah, it's still it's a weird mix of things. I'm gonna leave it at that. Mm. <laughs> Uh, the, the, the final thing I would add is uh, it's what, what struck me as kind of interesting looking at it is it all runs on VMware. So you'll need existing VMware infrastructure and then you get Kubernetes and a whole bunch of other stuff on top of that. So I always, uh, I always wonder why people put uh, Kubernetes on top of a, of a hypervisor. I mean, the reason that they do it is just to make it so that you quote unquote don't need to care about the underlying hardware yeah. but we all know that that's a lie like it, the, the whole thing about oh just put it on VMware then you don't need to care about what the underlying hardware is you really still do need to care and yeah. my my guess is that uh, at some point you know if you're working or talking with Google on this, there will be some sort of list of, oh, but you actually need this specification of you know, compute node, storage mm -hmm. node, this type of architecture, you know, whatever. Yeah. So don't just imagine that you can just slap this well, service immediately on your existing infrastructure. It's probably not the case. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure VMware already has that uh, those requirements. They only install their environment on top of certified approved hardware stuff now again a lot of private clouds have vmware on them so it's not that big of a stretch but mm. um again it's layer upon layer upon layer of abstraction to really get into close to a SaaS like environment if you really want that there should be i don't know i don't know i'm gonna <laughs> i'm not gonna okay. criticize something i so, don't know too much about 
Moving on then. Moving on to news about the Open Core Summit. Yes, this is something I actually noticed this morning. And uh, it actually came from everybody's favorite website, the Register. No reaction there? Okay, fair enough. If you don't know the Register, they're a bit of a, I don't know, their articles are usually a bit, uh, I'd call that inflammatory. But on the other hand, sensationalist, <laughs> uh, something like that. Now, this one is actually relatively subdued, I think, uh, for what I've for what I'm used uh, for this. There, there's still a couple of things in there, but uh, they do kind of make points. And the first thing that was for me that apparently there is a event that just ended because uh, we're recording this on the 20th and this event happened on the 19th so we just missed it but it was in san francisco which is a bit far away to just jump on a plane and attend so that wasn't going to happen anyway but it's uh, the open core summit and it's uh, i'm just reading the tagline from the website here the world's first and largest ecosystem gathering across the burgeoning cos and that stands for commercial open source software category uh, never have no acronyms in the world having one more is always a good thing right and basically the register actually looks at uh, what is this open course summit what is this costing do we need it what's worth it and, and so on and so on and it's actually a pretty interesting read because we've been talking about this already in previous episodes where open source licenses mm-hmm. are changing due to the pressure or of uh, so called um, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for Predatory. predatory tactics from the big cloud providers out there, public cloud providers out there, where open source companies, they spend a lot of time putting their effort in their nice products and then and public cloud just publishes it as a SaaS environment. People pay the cloud provider, they do not pay the uh, creator of the software. And that's simply not a sustainable thing. We had a discussion before already and apparently more people have the discussion because there's now a whole summit about it. So just pausing there, what's your first reaction when you hear about an open course summit? I mean, the the collection of, of companies there and, you know, full disclosure, uh, Grafan Labs CEO Raj Dutt was also there and speaking. Um, and Elastic Shea Bannon as well. Exactly. So um, it, this is just, this seems to be the way that a lot of the uh open source commercial open source organizations are developing um there's a quote further on down from uh, uh, someone at uh, bain capital ventures who spoke at the conference that mentioned the statistic over 80 over the last 18 months at least 12 companies have changed changed their licenses away from open source to source available licenses for parts of their code and i think that that's kind of um, my my understanding around open source. I think I need to evolve because I've been I've been involved in open source for over twenty years, and for me, open source is it's about it's about community, it's about collaboration, it is also about the source code itself being open and available. But the more and more commonly now, that's sort of those those waters are being you know significantly more muddied towards you know the source might be available for something, but what you can do with that source, even though it's available to you, is is far more tightly controlled, and that's always been the case. Um, you know, for for certain things, you know, 
lot of software is uh, uh, under the the GPL, for example, or AGPL. Um, not everything is is under more more permissive licenses, uh, but I find it I find it sort of interesting that. I find it, almost find it interesting that this is the first time that a collection of people have got together like this. I'm very, very surprised, actually, that it hasn't been happening earlier. Maybe it has, but under a different name. But the, certainly the suggestion here is that this is very much a, a launching of, uh, of, this kind of uh, this kind of gathering, the first time it's really been done. Yeah, but in no way is it a small gathering, because if you look at the amount of companies that are involved here, these are not some niche, nobody heard of them companies. I mean, Red Hat is there, IBM's there, yep. New4j, Timescale, I don't know, but I just like the name of it. Um, yeah, yeah. Cloudbees, um, see Andres and Horowitz is there as well, which is interesting, I guess. Uh, Percona, Microsoft, GitLab, as you already said, Elastic and Grafana were there too, AT&T, Nginx, I mean, everybody almost rings a bell with me, and if you, it's just a whole long page of images of people, talk, uh, pictures of people talking there, and if I look at the schedule, I think there were like five, uh, five parallel tracks or something, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight parallel tracks for a first-time conference, they're not doing things half uh, half assed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's a it's a significantly uh, sized. Yeah, I mean, there clearly was a need for something gathering. like this because it didn't have any problem mm. filling the filling the room with speakers. I mean, we'll see <laughs> when the news comes out how many people actually attended it because the tickets weren't cheap. Yep. I just looked. I mean, the early bird was long gone, of course, but uh, yesterday you could get a fifteen hundred dollar ticket to go to that uh, event. It was a two-day event, I think. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, two-day, two day, 19 and 20. So it's still going on as we speak. But yeah, it's uh, interesting and apparently very much uh, yeah, seen as something that has to happen. Another thing, if, uh, if it's okay, I would like to take another uh, stab at the article, another a little quote here. Mm. Um at the same time, it's tempting to see a certain zero-sum symbolism in the conference's morning donut service brought to you by AWS, not to mention interstitial musical cues like Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer <laughs> and Imagine Dragons, whatever it takes. And the conference organizers missed an opportunity by overlooking Pink Floyd's money and the Sisters of Mercy's more. So <laughs> there's a bit of sarcasm going uh, on there a little I bit, would, perhaps. <laughs> I would, but I would say that I would very... Very certain that the uh, um, the music was chosen very deliberately. Uh, I would hope so, because uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 a burning thing, right? It needs to be talked about, and yeah, I mean the brought to you by AWS. Uh, you can put any kind of nice wording around it, but this conference, this whole movement, this whole grouping of people of influential people, is pretty much caused by AWS, right? I mean, they're I the poster child of the yeah. cause. Let's call it that way. They're not the only yeah. bad guy here, <laughs> not at all. But they're the poster child of the uh, problem statement. Can I say it like that? Is that nice enough? You can say anything you like. Yeah, but will I get killed <laughs> tomorrow on Twitter? That's the problem. <laughs> Probably not. Probably people don't not. care what I say. There okay. People, there are people doing far worse things on Twitter. I hope so. Uh, no, I don't hope so. But <laughs> <laughs> I would be happy if it wasn't the case. Haha. <laughs> Yeah. So it's 
Yeah, it continues to be interesting. This this story is far from over, mm-hmm. and we will continue to keep an eye on things uh, as they develop. Yeah, just uh, to end off uh, this discussion, this uh, uh, thing was uh, organized by something called OSS Capital, which is a venture capital firm or something that made this cost thing, which by their own words isn't a really a platform. It's a set of loosely coupled initiatives that educate, grow, fund and connect leaders of uh, commercial open source software. And as the article writer, I think, correctly sums up at the end or concludes at the end, mm. Notably absent from the mix is a defensible business model. Feel free to bring your own, if you can find one. Yeah, as I say, the story is not written yet. (laughs) Yeah, the story (laughs) is not written yet. There's still a lot to go on here. So yeah, we will see. And we'll keep you abreast of it when things evolve, because I must say it's close to home for me. I mean, this does interest me personally as well. So with that, anything more from you? I think that is everything from me. Then that is indeed all the time we have for today. You can also support this podcast. You can become a patron. Every contribution help. Thank you, our current patrons. We like you. We need you. And from time to time, we give you a little something back whenever we can, actually. We're on YouTube. Like, subscribe, and ring the notification bell. Dave's no longer on his knees, but we still want more subscribers there. And we are planning some video-ish content appearing there in the, can I call it near future? Well, not making any promises just yet. Medium future. Medium future. But we are working on it. We want to do something with that. I mean, obviously there is a, I'm not going to say demand, but an interest in our YouTube presence. So we will be doing something with that because, to be honest, it's also some something that I think is fun. Apart from that, please go to www.roaringoff.org. You can find a link to Patreon page, more information about the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter using the Hadoopcast tag, and you can send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until next time, my name is John. And my name is Dave. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then.